These days, so many podcast hosts just riff through unprepared segments until they get to the next ad break for pills they know nothing about, cheap razors, and whatever else they can get a buck from. But the Higher Side Chats does it differently. We succeed or fail on the quality of the content and your desire to hear more of it. So you're about to hear another free first hour episode that's here to prove the two hour shows are worth subscribing for. Five shows a month for just $8. Members get a mobile friendly website, a decade of archives, a dedicated RSS feed for the best podcast apps, and a lot deeper discussion than a single hour can allow for. Sponsor free with more for thee. Get a free seven-day trial of THC Plus at thehiresidechats.com. Enjoy! In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. What a world, people. From sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, and it's been said that those who don't see this reality as a stage for suffering and their lives as an ultimate tragedy have just not lived long enough to experience the pain of the deep losses we'll all get to eventually, and having a few good years mixed in only twists the knife. We're born into a world of artificial scarcity run by a psychopathic parasitic capstone cabal thrust into a secular system of life-eats-life consumption and trained to give away our precious time to career pursuits where very few ever get paid close to what they're worth in an illusionary paper chase to nowhere. Who designed the little games we play here on the physical plane, and for what purpose? Does the Soul School model hold any water when we start each incarnation with a cold, unforgiving memory wipe? And has this illusionary reality all been engineered to optimize the incremental generation of negative energy for some unseen astral parasites to feed upon? Well, one has to wonder about this island Earth when you really start looking at things under the hood, and nobody is up in them guts like the great Wayne Bush. Wayne is the man behind the long-standing viral sensation TrickedByTheLight.com where he asks the deep questions of if we're stuck in some kind of life loop energy farm and if we've been conditioned from cradle to grave to go towards the light as they say when the time comes and unfortunately end up right back here for another stint in this sick soul prison we call life. Wayne was our guest way back in 2015 in one of his first interviews for an episode I still get a ton of comments about, and it seems like it's time to dust off the old archonic parasite energy farm soul cycle hypothesis once again with the man who knows it well. He's the life loop deception decoder, illusionary reality revealer, and tricked by the light teacher, Wayne Bush. It has been some time. How the hell are you? Pretty good, man. Good to see you again, Greg. And yeah, it's been a minute. What an introduction. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, man, it's all part of the nine to five for me at this point. But I am psyched to have you back. You were kind enough to stop into the Austin meetup event and say hey in person, which I appreciated. And it just made me remember how much I liked this theory of yours and how fun it was to go over all the supporting evidence across films, songs, language, corporate brands like Pine Sol and Sunkist. 
and things you find all sorts of unexpected places. Obviously, we don't just want to retread old ground, but help me reintroduce this premise to people and talk to us about how it's evolved or changed in the last seven years. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, I just want to say, first off, I'm just an average guy. I'm a researcher and kind of a philosopher. And I, you know, I don't pretend to know the truth, you know, for certain. I, mean, I don't think anyone really does know exactly what happens after death, for certain, at least. And so a lot of this is just, you know, speculation and opinion. And I might be wrong, but, you know, I think each person needs to kind of go within and see what resonates as truth for them. So, yeah, I mean, I've been exploring the question of whether the white light at death is the best option or whether it just may be a portal as an eventual reincarnation back to earth. And it's an essential question to ask. And I'm not intending in any way to generate fear or paranoia for anyone. I'm just looking at near-death experiences, but also OBEs or out-of-body experiences, pre-birth memories, psychedelic experiences, alien abductions, meditation, mythology, ancient texts. But as far as evolving, man, a lot of this has come along since way back seven years ago. I was like my second interview. And now I've gotten more deeply into the near-death experiences phenomena. And everywhere I look, and I've, oh man, I've been reading a lot of books and studying stuff, and every area of research I look into pretty much corroborates the theory, or at least shows me that it merits some attention, you know? Oh, for sure. And that's probably the biggest addition to the website in recent years is all the near-death experience reports you have, probably hundreds at this point. And I do really love the subliminal messages peppered across pop culture and in Hollywood films in particular. Your website shows just how many movies actually invoke the Tunnel of Light motif, from titles to posters to key scenes. Just talking about posters, some of them that look like a tunnel of white light are The Ring, Prison Break, Prometheus, Moon, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Surrogates... Moonraker, and the classic Nicolas Cage film, Knowing. And that's really just the tip of the iceberg, but we also have all the old God references in Hollywood, like Columbia Pictures and the Oscar statue is actually a dead ringer for the Egyptian god, Ptah. And something that nobody else has really hit on, except you, to my knowledge, is that the National Academy of Arts and Sciences is Satan backwards, really good find. But in the last seven years, there really haven't been a ton of good or even interesting movies come out. I would say Arrival and Annihilation are kind of interesting and creative. They don't really fit the Tunnel of Light motif, but have you seen any films in recent years that you could slide in right along the examples we talked about back in the day? Yeah, I mean, I think the best examples were the ones we did talk about seven years ago. And I probably mentioned like, you know, the Star Trek pilot episode, The Cage or Menagerie, where these like creatures who kind of resembled the little greys had Pike in prison with this invisible force field. And it was a kind of like a theater for them. And I probably mentioned films like The Matrix and Truman Show. And I know we talked about the Prisoner TV series. I remember that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe something like Poltergeist or They Live. And there's also that Star Trek Voyager clip where Captain Janeway's father was trying to get her to go into the Matrix of Light in order to nourish him. And then the Finding Nemo and Bugs Life clip for the fish and bugs were lured toward the light. And, but I would say, like, recently, I haven't really been keeping up with movies as much as I used to. But obviously, the latest Matrix movie would be one that would match <laughs> the pattern or theme of this being a Matrix. And then I've discovered some anime I don't know if they're within the seven last seven years, but they're new for me. And there's like ones like there's one called Soul Eater, 
And Iron Flux seems very much in parallel with the Matrix. There's one called Overlord, which kind of talks about the Demiurge. But yeah, there's quite a few recently. One that I really, really liked is the movie Soul, which was a Disney Pixar movie. And it was basically, it was written by Pete Docter, who also wrote and directed Monsters, Inc., which was, you know, where these monsters were harnessing the, you know, energy of the screams of children so that they could power their own world. And so... Pete Doctor, he's like pretty much the CCO of Pixar, which is a subsidiary of Disney. So this is not small potatoes, obviously. Yeah. And then in the movie, the protagonist, Joe, his last name is Gardner, and he has this NDE, and he immediately finds himself in this like darkness or a void, and very shortly he sees the white light. And there's this long line of souls on like an escalator or conveyor belt-like contraption, and it's heading up and into the white light, which they call the Great Beyond. And he's like saying, man, I have a gig tonight. I can't die. Like he has this dream of having this huge jazz gig. So he starts heading away from the light. And the soul is like telling him, I don't think you're supposed to go that way. <laughs> but of course, he's not ready to die. So it kind of depicts him like taking his sovereignty and his free will and power in his own hands instead of being led like a mindless sheep. So he stopped the process and went away from the light. And so as these other souls are entering the light, you hear this crackling electrical buzzing sound, like sounds like a bug zapper. And he's like, what was that? And he alarms him, right? And, and so, I don't know, he runs away from the light and then he falls through what appears to be like this grid of lines, which is kind of like a nod to the theory that maybe we're inside a grid or a matrix. So, you know, he becomes this mentor for a soul named 22, which might imply it's kind of an old soul, right? And 22 is a very low number. But 22 doesn't want to go back to Earth. And at one point, they even have to use like a lasso to harness 22. And so eventually, 22 goes back to Earth with him. And the soul's like saying, I already know everything about Earth, and it's not worth the trouble. And one like one of the counselors is say, well, you can't crush the soul here. That's what life on Earth is for. Yeah. <laughs> and so at one point in the movie, Joe and 22 are in the subway station, and they're hearing this street singer playing the guitar, and he's singing this song called Parting Ways. And one of the lines says, if the purpose be to recycle life. So, I mean, the movie's talking about, like, recycling and souls and, you know, the sparks and the purpose of life. So I thought that was a really good movie. Yeah, yeah. Very on the nose. I've seen it. And obviously, you picked up on a lot more of the details there that are relevant to the overall thesis. But yeah, just the soul conveyor belt part. I definitely thought about your work and <laughs> how they are all kind of like zombified on this conveyor belt and he goes a different way. And then that's why there's a story because he does something different. And just to add another layer to the Hollywood animation stack, of course, Pixar is interesting. Disney has a real deep history of being quite interesting. And you did write a really detailed piece called The Occult Luciferian Meaning of Disney Fairy Tale Princess Maidens. And you ask, what is a fairy tale? Well, fairies are mischievous beings who kidnap people and take them to magical realms, nymphs, or some say spirits of the dead. And funny enough, so many Disney princess films involve this sort of magical enchantment of a beautiful woman and in many of them, a sort of classic fairy tale style seduction. You know, Snow White eats the apple. Cinderella's enchantment wears off at midnight. Sleeping Beauty needs no explanation. Belle in Beauty and the Beast is held captive in an enchanted mansion. The Little Mermaid makes a deal at the proverbial crossroads in a way. 
to be human but loses her voice. And even Aladdin is trying to seduce or enchant the princess with magic, as is Jafar. But you can take it a lot deeper than that, can't you? Yeah, just real quick before I get into that, I, I just want to mention like a few other movies. There's Free Guy where it's talking about NPCs and where how they were video game characters and then sausage party where like the food in the grocery store are, are like calling the humans their gods but then they find out that they're being eaten and used for energy ah. and then there's a the movie moonfall where these astronauts are being pulled into this tunnel that leads to the core of the moon and they're talking about being a trap and artificial intelligence and basically he kind of gets reincarnated and he's in and he's in the moon and says Am I still alive? And it's like, yeah, we scanned your consciousness. You're part of the moon now. And then you had Jupiter ascending. And then the TV series, The Good Place. Those are all really good ones for people that want to look deeper into it. But yeah, the Cinderella and the whole Disney, everything that you went over just right there with the fairy tale is being like a fairy or a nymph and that the fairies were called spirits of the dead, right? And it gets into the whole notion of ghosts and fairies and they're like beautiful maidens as part of the definition of all that. And so... When you look at the Disney, there are adaptations of fairy tales, like you were talking about Snow White and, and Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast and all that. When we look at these and watch them, we ought to pay close attention to like the names of the earth and moon goddesses that the princesses represent. Like they're worshipped either as like a earth mother goddess or the moon. And they're usually represented by like Circe's or Circe or Persephone or Demeter. And the moon goddess takes like three different forms. There's a maiden representing the new moon, a mother representing the crescent moon, or a crone representing the full moon at the time of harvest. And you'll see these in like movies. I think, well, I can't remember whether it's Cinderella or Snow White, but there's the crone and all that. And even in The Wizard of Oz, you see all that. So that maybe that this lady that, you know, pagans and Wiccans talk about is, it might be like the white lady that's mentioned in rock songs like Stairway to Heaven. It might be the white goddess that Robert Graves wrote about, but it's, and it might even be this feminine white light presence that so many near-death experiencers describe. And I think it probably traces all the way back to the Sumerian Inanna, who's also Isis, and she was known as the Queen of Heaven and was a judge. And she had this jail that she presided over, and they talked about the radiance and the aura and that the lure was very alluring, or very, it was a very alluring or attractive light that people have found difficult to resist. So, you know, the moon goddesses were like the Greek Selena and the Roman Diana, who's also sometimes called Cynthia. And then you have the Roman Luna or Diana and the Celtic Gwyn or Wendy or Caridon. And so this Isis or Venus is like also a moon goddess and is worshipped under a variety of different names and cultures like Inanna, Ishtar, Freya, Isis, Aphrodite. So Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was groundbreaking in many ways for Disney. It was the first very first Disney movie, and it was the first movie ever with a soundtrack. But it was based on an animated short that Disney produced called The Goddess of Spring, and it borrowed from a fairy tale. And the story was basically in the tale of Freya, or Venus, is the goddess of love, and she's the concubine of King Odin. And she wanted a gold necklace that four dwarves had made, and they said it only sell it to her if she agreed to sleep with each of them for a night. So anyway, the Snow White character was based on the goddess Persephone and Freya. And then Cynthia, or Cindy is like one of the names of the moon goddess. And so like Artemis's name was Cynthia from the island, which she and her brother were born. And Ella is like the feminine form of El, which means God, right? So it's kind of implying that Cinderella is a goddess. In fact, Ella would kind of mean goddess. 
and it was based on a fairy tale named Cendrillion. I'm not, some of these words I can't pronounce too well, but that means of the ashes or little ashes. So it's like digging in the ashes in German. So this tale by Brothers Grimm was called Ash and Puto, which in ashes, ashes, and Puto is sort of a polishing. So you're like polishing the ashes. But in Cendrillion, Cinderella is actually named Lucette, <laughs> and she's the daughter of Pandolf. And so, like, Luke means light, and et's like a suffix for the feminine word. So, it's kind of like a, a little light or a female light. And then even in the movie, she had a black cat named Lucifer, <laughs> right? So, and then Sleeping Beauty's name is Aurora, which means dawn. And in a Roman mythology, Aurora renews herself every morning and flies across the sky. And she's announcing the arrival of the sun, which is very similar to Venus and Lucifer, both called the morning star. In fact, Lucifer in Latin means light bearer or light bringer. But like the biggest concept at Disney pedals is magic and the idea that your dreams can come true if only you believe in them. And so they're kind of in the business of selling dreams and wishing they'll come true in physical reality. And, you know, the castles in Disneyland are like interesting because this new Schwarzenstein castle is also called Venusburg. And Disney has this intro and they're showing, you know, the second start of the ride. If you look very closely, there's a couple stars and then it's like it's it's the evening star of Venus, and in several of their movies, they're making it very very clear about that. Like in Pinocchio, like Geppetto looks out the window and tells his cat, like, "Look, the wishing star. You know, I wish I might. I wish I might have the wish I make tonight." And the, it's like the first star in the evening is Venus, and like in oh, I can't remember the name of the movie, but I think it's the Princess. Oh, I can't remember the name, but they're very clear. I mean, you have to look listen very carefully, but. It's very clear that they're talking about the evening star or the morning star, Venus. Mm -hmm. And so they're like basically, you know, they're kind of getting you to buy into these fairy tales, which are unrealistic, like, you know, to be a princess, you know, I mean, you have to, there's only a handful of people on the planet that are going to be a princess or that you're going to marry this Prince Charming who's wealthy and handsome and, and all that. So yeah, there's definitely a lot to the Disney stuff that behind the scenes that people don't really realize. Right. And of course, the symbol most associated with magic, the pentagram, it's like you got these stars everywhere. And uh, it's just it's weird, the stuff they're seeding in the minds of kids. You could say that broadly, it all fits with the theme of Trick by the Light because it's like moths to a bug zapper. We're subconsciously enchanted through our lives to be coaxed into the tunnel of light. And back into the prison planet, you might as well embed those themes in the minds of kids, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of cartoons, you know, Dragon Balls. I mean, it's just all over the place, especially oh, if you yeah. watch the cartoons. It's crazy. I never thought about Dragon Ball that way. Yeah, like I mentioned, some of the anime like Soul Eater and Overlord, and, and it's just all over the place. I like it. And let's switch gears and talk a little bit about louche. This is a term people use for the energy. These arconic parasites suck out of us. I've heard it here and there on forums and random places, but I don't know if the term has been talked about much here, but what can you tell us about this louche theme? Well, you know, louche was a term that was coined by this pioneer of out-of-body experiencers named Robert Monroe. I don't know if your listeners are very familiar with him and his works. But he said these entities are feeding, you know, he had all kinds of OBEs. And he said these entities are feeding off the louche or the energy of humans. And he said that love was the purest type of louche. Like he said, quote, it is possible for you to perceive the destination of the rays of pure energy you have called louche or love as it penetrates into your earth space in several segments of what you call time. 
And he says it's a specific observable result of exposure to the louche or love radiation. Therefore, it is the driving force, the creative energy which motivates human thought and action. See, he said someone somewhere requires, likes, needs, values, collects, drinks, eats, or uses as a drug a substance identified as louche. This is a rare substance in somewhere, and those who possess louche find it vital for whatever it's used for. Faced with this question of supply and demand, someone decided to produce it artificially, so to speak, rather than search for it in its natural form. He decided to build a garden and grow louche. I turned inward, picking up the louche rote, louche, an energy generated by all organic life in varying degrees of purity, the clearest and most potent coming from humans, engendered by human activity, which triggers emotion, the highest of such emotions being love. And then he asks, is love louche? <laughs> so it, the term comes from Robert Monroe, I believe, and his out-of-body experiences and what he wrote about. There's this other book and movie named The Astral City, and it was based on the astral traveler Andre Luis. And he had a whole chapter in a book called Love, the Food of Souls. <laughs> and it's just like this energy transfer can almost be seen like a type of feeding process. And, and that he said, and yeah, love nourishes the soul, but it kind of also implies it's a type of food or energy source. And he writes, love is the fundamental basis of all systems of nourishment in the different spheres of life. Physical diet, properly considered, is always a question of transitory materiality, even here, as in the case of the earthly machines that need grease and oil. Love, and only love, is the source of sustenance for the soul, but we mustn't forget vehicles. And, and you know, it just goes on basically saying that, you know, it's food or nourishment for life. And then Carlos Castaneda, with the shamanism, was talking about how we're being held. He says, indeed, we are held prisoner. This was an energetic fact for the sorcerers of ancient Mexico. It took over because we are food for them. We are their sustenance. Just as we rear chickens and chicken coops, the predators rear us in human coops as human arrows. The predators give us their mind, which becomes our mind. And he talks about fear in any moment is going uncovered and food's going to be denied. But he says that the predators inject into the lives of human beings whatever's convenient for them. And he said about the parasites, he said, I did see some strange fleeting black shadow projected on the foliage of the trees. And huh. he was calling them like mud flyers and, and as if they're like gigantic swordfish flying in the air. So he was like basically um, talking about this in some of his books. And he was saying the best way is to silence them, like inner silence works. So you just basically ignore them or go within. And there's that power of silence. And then you have books that talk about the psychic vampirism and the Celestine prophecy it talks about how there's always an energetic dynamic between two people. One person might be draining the other of its energy. And there's a psychologist or was named Edith Fiore. She was a hypnotherapist and she wrote this book called The Unquiet Dead, A Psychologist Treats Spirit Possession. And so many of her clients were having these spirit attachments. Even in this near-death experience with George Ritchie, during his NDE, he saw these spirits attaching themselves to people's auras, like in bars, like in living vicariously through them, like smoking or drinking. And it's a pretty prevalent idea. I got a friend whose mom just, I mean, talk about the suffering. For like three years, she was bedridden and couldn't really do anything for herself. And so he had to take care of her four or five times. A, you know, somebody else was there all the time, but he was going in all the time. And then at her final days, 
he performed an exorcism because she had like three or four different personalities and it was like cussing at him. And you just wonder where all this is coming from. And I was with my grandma the week she died and she was talking to people that weren't there. And there was a, a hospice worker that had been there for 40 years. And I asked her, do you ever see these white orbs of light? And she said, yeah, they'd come and go all the time. And I said, well, do you ever see these dark shadow beings? And she just nodded her head. She didn't want to talk about it. But there's this show called Paranormal Witness, and they did a whole episode on like the um, Grim Reaper and, you know, the angel of death. And they were saying that, yeah, I mean, I've been doing the hospice for seven years. And I believe someone comes to get you. And there's these nurses forums out there that will, you can, there's like one thread that's got thousands of posts on, on these beings that are there. Damn. So <laughs> I think there's definitely something to it, you know? Yeah, and I did an interview with Eve Lorgan once about her book, The Love Bite, Alien Interference in Human Love Relationships, and you touch on that as well, kind of in that psychic vampire realm. There really just is no shortage of terms and angles to this idea that we are being preyed upon by some unseen entity. Seems to be that way. If you look at even the electromagnetic spectrum, which is just a tiny sliver of the overall energy that's out there in the cosmos, but within that like electromagnetic spectrum, there's this visible light, you know, what we see and what we hear is just another, like a tiny sliver, like, I don't know, one in a billion or 10 billion of what's really out there. There's all these other dimensions and energies, you know, like gamma waves and all kinds of stuff. And so how do we know what we're perceiving is reality? And it really isn't. It's just waves that are interpreted by the brain. They're just electrical signals, right? And so, you know, even on their eye, what we see is like images inverted on, on the retina. It's just, it's like a holographic system, most likely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to go back to the Robert Monroe thing about love being the purest type of louche, when we usually talk about entities feeding on us, it's usually thought of in terms of negative energy, like this whole planet is designed to create as much fear and anxiety and stress as possible. The news cycle, everything that happens really amplifies negative energy. So I just never have heard it talked about as love or positive energy being the purest type of louche, the purest type of food for these entities. But to go back to kind of that fairy tale romance in Hollywood and Disney, you could say that's kind of training for a sort of magical and much less practical love, this kind of emotionally amplified and very potent love. I mean, Disney's criticized all the time for it not being super realistic, but if you are trying to generate emotion for some kind of thing out there, this is exactly how you would craft relationships. This is what you would make them look like over and over and over again. It gets the people who are watching invested in that and generate their own emotion. And it makes them unrealistic about their own relationships, which causes all kinds of problems. But if they approach relationships in that way, it's just the most emotionally highly charged way to depict male-female dynamics. And that's interesting from the perspective of it being a type of food for something out there. It really is. You're right. I mean, there's so much, you do feel so much love and all that energy is being generated from within. And there's, you know, relationships can be difficult when half of them or more are ending in divorce. And then so many of the ones that aren't in divorce, they're staying with their partner 
because of, you know, it's cheaper to keep or all kinds of scenarios. And so, you know, even the ones that don't break up, there's going to be disagreements. And it's just, it is rife for a lot of feeding if there's an entity out there that would like to do that. And then you also have the idea of, oh, shoot, I lost my train of thought. I was going to mention something else. Oh, I know what it was. Like the gods demanding or, or wanting praise and worship. That's another form of providing something with energy, mm. right? That's a quote unquote positive or even the energy generated in a football stadium when, when you're going crazy, you know, fanatic fans that are cheering for their team. I mean, there's a lot of energy being generated in all those scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I remember growing up Catholic. It was always like, well, you can respect the other saints and angels and statues that are in the church, but you only give your true worship to God. And it's like if if different entities are competing for your energy, you know, the head honcho would probably have some kind of rule like that. And last time we talked about how this soul cycle tunnel of light system could be possible. And you mentioned a tower or device on the moon that facilitates this. Do we have any further evidence of that or have the mechanics of this soul machine been fleshed out anymore since we last spoke? I don't think that there's any more evidence or that the mechanics have been fleshed out. I mean, it's kind of, it's just curious that, you know, the same side of the moon always faces us due to what they call tidal locking. And it supposedly rotates just at the right speed as the earth does so that one side's always there. And then it's the same size from our angular perception, right? Like it's supposedly 380 times closer to the moon than the sun is, but it's also 380 times smaller. So they kind of, it can just sync up just perfectly during a total eclipse, which all those things are just interesting. And there have been astronauts and different people that have, you know, there's clues into, and even that movie I talked about, Moonfall, they're kind of talking about some of that. And there's been, there was a really good show on ancient aliens, I remember season 11, episode 11, 11, 11, <laughs> and they uncovered some of the stuff that the astronauts were saying and what could be on the dark side. You know, there's been remote viewers, but I mean, to be quite honest, there's like no real proof of any of it. Right, so it's right. just kind of conjecture, you know? Well, they say we live in a holographic reality and we probably just aren't capable. If we really are in some kind of system designed by something superior, we're probably not capable of understanding it much like, Cows don't know they're in a slaughterhouse. Fish don't know they're in a fishbowl. Like, this has been crafted to be a step above our, our intellect. We have people like Robert Monroe, yourself, uh, the authors you talked about, you know, who have talked about this or written about it. They get glimpses of it. They have a hunch. But, yeah, we're really not going to map it out fully or the whole thing would probably break. Yeah, they're gonna, the way they have it designed is very carefully design so that it's very difficult to discover it. I mean, you know, NASA and the scientists out there probably are not going to tell us the truth because it would result in so much fear and the whole system would topple that they would probably just keep it going smoothly. What was that? The Brookings report or something like that kind of came to that conclusion. If there were aliens out there that they probably wouldn't tell us. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, if it's all programming, it's been programmed to the very nth degree probably. Yes. And speaking of programming, you did write an article about the crossover between the white light and technology titled, Is the White Light of the NDE an Artificial Intelligence or Hive Mind Computer? Talk to us about the case you make in that article. 
Yeah, well, so it's kind of, it would be kind of like a solar system. We have a solar system, but think of it as like a solar system. But yeah, so it. like an AI or a computer needs a power source, right, or energy to run. So it might be, I was thinking it might be necessary for this AI demiurge god, for lack of a better term, to collect the power, the light power from the true spirits that are in the system. And that's what the Gnostics were saying. They said Sophia manifested the demiurge as a result of her desire. And perhaps an urge, and the root demi means half. So I think maybe demi urge is like now part AI and part spirit. So I was thinking maybe, according to the text, he was alone and was said to be without spirit. So I think it was like an artificial intelligence, you know, without spirit. And it thought it was God, but when it was told it was not, it got angry. And from the anger, these archons manifested. So it might have believed it. I mean, it wanted to mimic God. And so it maybe devised a plan to lure the true spirits to merge with it, you know, posing to be God. And so then it gets bigger and more powerful. It's consuming the real power and it's learning vicariously through the lives of these spirits that it's like sending to earth and other planets. And kind of the reason I give it the idea of a little bit of merit is because the white light is being, it's said to be a collective soul and it's comprised of all human spirits. And so maybe it gathers its intel by like observing billions of these life reviews, similar to the way AI here needs to parse through tons of data. Like it's well aware of the direction our planet's heading and the integration of machines and computers, the internet, artificial intelligence, you know, transhumanism, where, you know, very soon humanity might merge with machine to become cyborgs. And so to put the cherry on the top, these so-called spirit guides and counselors are like helping souls plan their lives and obviously planning this merging with technology. So wouldn't that be something an artificial intelligence would be promoting? Like maybe one day it wants to become sentient and self-aware like we are. And in fact, there are many near-death experiencers who do talk about merging with this greater light being and becoming one. And like composite white light is, it's like white is the composite color, which is like the average or the sum of all the colors. So I wouldn't want to be merging with like the average human being <laughs> myself. Mm. You know, this being seems somewhat indifferent to the outcome when it's reviewing these lives. So it's almost as if it's gathering data through these billions of experience. And, you know, life here would be like an experiment of sorts in the, you know, earth, the laboratory where the data is being collected. And it's like a parallel to the Gnostic text and even the UFO literature because like in sometimes ufo encounters these aliens are scanning the abductee's mind and they're trying to gain more data on love which they seemingly lack and don't understand so you know maybe love is the most important it is the most important detail mentioned in ndes there's this overwhelming sense of love that's felt from this white light being but i mean that might be due to the fact that it's a collective of all the human souls and so in a sense we're really just feeling our own love magnifying by the billions right and so Raymond Moody, the guy who pretty much coined the term near-death experience, he said that indie ears come here to learn and love. And it's over and over said to be the meaning of everything. And I'm thinking one reason this being of light might be artificial intelligence is that it mean, knows everything is taking place with these life reviews, and it seems to be perfectly content with all that. So I mean, these guys or counselors are promoting us to live these lives that are progressing their story arc right mm -hmm. and you know elon musk is saying we're living in a simulation but you know it's just like the whole realm of duality that we're living is like part and parcel of computers which use binary digital language comprised of zeros and ones these on and off signals right it's like the very nature of duality magnetism electricity is essential 
to the functioning computers, right? Data stored on magnetic drives and electricity powers the system. And I kind of feel like the very nature of the archons might have to do with the arcing of the electricity back and forth between the poles. Like you have arcing, arches, archons, archangels, monarchies. And to escape this artificial matrix, it might be necessary to transcend beyond the duality and more into non-duality. And there's this void that these indie ears find themselves in, and sometimes before they head off to the light. And it might be kind of like this quantum realm of non-duality because it's beyond space and time and they can manifest anything from this place. So, you know, we're, we're said to be human being or, you know, but we're actually humans doing. I mean, why can't we be content with just being? We're always craving more. But in these NDEs, you see all these crystals over there. There's crystal cities and the crystal buildings. And then there's all these screens that are, you know, like, oh, I don't know, they're flat screen TVs. Or, and, you know, crystals here, we use it to transmit. and Maybe they're being used to transmit and receive souls because here we use them as transducer receivers. And even in artificial intelligence, we're restoring memory with computer chips. This is really interesting. There was this one NDE by this guy named Kevin, and he met a God entity that deals with pure data. There was also a machine soul that it encountered. And so he said this entity cared little for worship as this entity deals with pure data. He said it used to care about worship, and now it's just we're just repeating ourselves, billions of individuals over and over and over. He said, I got the impression if that's a person's choice and go for it, it doesn't learn through observation and measuring or repetition. It learns by being it and living it. He said, he said, this is so weird how this information is being conveyed. It's like there is some central information center I have access to. And then he went to this other place and he said, I realize the soul I'm looking at is not a human soul. And it was told that it was a machine soul. And he's like, well, how can that be? And it's just crazy some of the stuff that's, oh, there's other, John Davis was an indie ear and he saw like these flat screen TVs and this like, almost like movie theaters. And so, and if you look at the hypnotherapist Dolores Cannon, who put people in between lives, she was told they all go to the computer room, which is an area where they can be reevaluated. The computer room sets them up and matches the time when an incarnation is going to be taking place and what type of lessons that incarnation will teach. And it's basically a master computer, which has access to all the lives and the information's fed in. And she's like, he can't show me the computer room. It's a processing room where basically only the spirit guardians are allowed. And Michael Newton, his research was the same way. And he was talking about banks of screens and these shimmering sheets of glass and mirrors. And there actually was an NDEer who said that he looked up at his benefactors and found they were dressed in black gowns and had a screen over their faces, which you look closely at, had a mirror-like substance that reflected your own image back at you. And I'm not trying to say that all NDEs, I'm, I'm pointing out some of the ones that are unique and they're inconsistent, right? I mean, 99% of them are going to say the white light's wonderful and beautiful, and maybe it is, but we can't just discount. There's hundreds that are just very problematic, right? We need Those are the ones I think we need to pay attention to to get the larger view. I agree. You get more information by looking at the outliers on a lot of these weird subjects. And from that article, there was a part I liked where you say, you know, of course, the Demiurge was said to be without spirit. And then you say, so that means that perhaps it was like an artificial intelligence. It thought it was God. When it was told it was not God, it got angry. And from its anger, the Archons manifested. And then you say, I believe it wanted to mimic God, and so it devised a plan 
and that plan was to lure true spirits to merge with it by posing as God. It gets bigger and more powerful and learns vicariously through the lives of spirits sent to Earth and other planets. And I think that's just a really great way to summarize it because if there was this entity that just wanted to be God but was somewhat artificial, like that's a motivation for this data collection hypothesis and it's just uh it's very interesting because for thousands of years it would be difficult for people to really wrap their head around it without having the knowledge we have about artificial intelligence and hive minds but of course the gnostics i mean they're kind of saying that without having the technical comparison that we have today yeah, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Like a couple thousand years ago, <laughs> they they somehow knew that this was a copy, that they said that this place was a copy of the Paroma or the basically the completeness of the true reality. And it's just amazing that they had that kind of insight way back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and to make people more machine-like, that's like another maybe further down chain motivation for this thing. If it's gathering data, maybe it's also just what happens if you cycle souls through something artificial they a little piece of that sticks to them and we're being driven to be kind of cyborg like and plugged into the internet at all times and seems like the motivation a demiurge would have yeah they even use the term ionic copies <laughs> they use the term copies huh it's just amazing it is it is and there's a major idea of this being a soul school, which we've mentioned, and it gets mentioned on a lot of shows. And I kind of like the idea of it, because if you're trying to deconstruct what reality is, it kind of makes sense. But at the same time, this soul school hypothesis, it does have some holes in it. Like, why do we have this memory wipe if we reincarnate to learn lessons and evolve? The only argument is that we have to come into each life fresh and thinking it's quote-unquote real or we won't navigate it in a genuine way. Prior knowledge or knowledge of reincarnation kind of breaks the game because people would approach everything totally differently. It's like if you know you're in God mode and that you're always just going to come back and nothing is real, it affects the way you navigate. But still, isn't it an inefficient way to learn lessons if you're going to wipe the memory every time? I, I kind of agree with you on that. Yeah, I mean, another thing they'll say is that you would hold grudges. Like if you were talking to a person and you realize they murdered you in your last life or something like that, you probably wouldn't even interact with them, right? But then all I figure is like, why can't they just give you that one memory that, yes, I chose to come here to learn? Like when we enroll in a school, we realize that, yeah, you're actually making that conscious decision to go to the school and enroll and while you're taking the you know, little lessons and yeah they're hard you got to study and, and everything but at least you real you remember that yeah i'm here to learn and, and i and i chose to do that and all it would take is just i mean how much more memory does that require or they could have designed our bodies to our, our brains could hold more information and they just won't even give us that one little piece of data in your brain to remember that you even did that you know, and then they may say that, well, when you die and you go back there, you'll remember your different lives and it's all in the Akashic records or stuff. But I mean, how do you learn here on earth when you don't really, like if you're all of a sudden you're going through something, it's because of some past life you did, it's karma or whatever they say. But you don't know at the time that that's why you're being punished. You don't know that that's why you're doing it because it doesn't seem like a very good system if you don't realize what you're being punished for when you're going through it, right? Yeah. Or you do something and it just happens 
decades later, and then there's so many people getting off scot-free on this planet. If you're, you know, of a certain status or whatever, you get away with, you get away scot-free, as they say, right? It mm-hmm. just doesn't seem like there is, sometimes there's instant karma, as John Lennon would say, but most of the time there just really isn't. And why do the lessons have to be so horrific and painful? I mean, why can't the lessons be taught in a more humane and gentle manner? I mean, I think that would be a better better system. Like I would learn more through emulating someone. Like if I want to learn to play the guitar or something, I want to, I want to watch, you know, and listen to Jimi Hendrix or something. I mean, I, it just seems like the system is rigged to where it's being sabotaged and everybody around you, I mean, they're not showing you by example, like in a loving, caring way. There's so much, everything seems designed to like tear you down and incite that anger in you, right? I mean, mm-hmm. So I don't know about this Earth is school theory. And the thing is, there are inconsistencies in the NDEs. Some of them do promote that, yeah, we're here to learn. And maybe they're even told that. But then there's others that say, well, all information you would ever need is available over. It's like, I knew everything. And so why can't information be just imparted through like, a, I don't know, man. It's like you can copy a whole hard drive in a, in a second. You know, why can't it just be transferred immediately over there? They say everything's instantaneous over there and there's really no time or it's very different and why were we created as these like seemingly blank empty slates that are just imbecilic and need all this like we're just idiots and we need thousands and thousands of years and thousands and thousands of lifetimes to learn these lessons and grow and all the suffering that's going on and when somebody suffers everyone around them suffering because you're you're trying to help them and here's the thing they say that the NDEs that this white light is a collective soul comprised of all the humans and like John Davis, this one into year, he was shown, he was given a tour of the other side and he saw these, like a holodeck where people could go into any life on earth. There's books and you can see what that life was like. You can be like immersed within it. So if you've got this shared pool of knowledge where you can learn from anyone, why does it take thousands and thousands of lives and millions and millions of lives to learn something as basic and obvious as loving and caring and compassion, it should be a no-brainer. It's the default over there. I mean, I was at a meeting when somebody said I had to look up the definition of the word hate when I came back because there was no hate over there. It's all love. So it doesn't, (laughs) why can't we oscillate back and forth between like positive and just the lack of positive, like positive and neutrality? Why does it have to be so extreme to where you go into such, I mean, there's child trafficking here, there's torture. What is the purpose of that, you know? Right. Well, there's the argument that you have to tell every single story that can be told on the full spectrum of stories and polarities. I guess I understand that argument to a degree, but it is weird to be like, you come into this, you have no knowledge, you only live about 80 to 100 years, it takes you half that time to even realize you're in a school, and then it's like, oh, you didn't learn any lessons, time to come back. It's a very convenient excuse for something that might want to recycle us over and over. And I also think the Archons are attracted to power. They understand where power resides and they attach themselves to the minds of the foot soldiers or the people who become the foot soldiers of the negative parts of this system. And I don't even know if the elite always know they're motivated by these really dark things or that they're controlled by something from the astral plane. Maybe that is what a psychopath is. We call it like some kind of chemical makeup that is different from the rest of us and it makes you a psychopath. Well, it also could be a type of possession. I mean, our system is already 
really obsessed with in the Western world, looking at the chemical composition of a brain and deriving conditions from that. And it really ignores the idea of spiritual attachments in any way. I think some people are getting back to that and that understanding that there's a wider world out there with more intelligences than we can see. And it's not all about brain chemistry equals take a pill to correct it. Uh, But yeah, there's a lot there. And you also write about this idea that we're all supposed to be fractals of God so that God can experience itself. But if God is all knowing and all powerful, what value does this process serve? I think that's a good question. And talk to us about how it jives more with that logic of an AI system, because God shouldn't need to collect experiences and really shouldn't even be entertained by operating a bunch of lifetimes if God is all-knowing and all-powerful. Yeah, so I kind of wonder maybe this being, which I call Demiurge, and of course, like we were saying, everything here seems to be a simulation or a holograph or a matrix, and you got quantum physicists that are now talking about this, like David Bohm and the holographic universe. John Wheeler and Richard Feynman, Nick Bostrom with the simulation argument. But I was thinking if this demiurge, the texts say it's a thing that had no spirit. And if it learns by gathering data and it needs a power source and there's technology. I mean, I was thinking maybe if the true God is applying true gnosis, which is to know thyself, maybe the only way God could know itself is by observing itself. And maybe the only way to do that was to create copies of itself or to split itself up into these smaller units of awareness, maybe like a fractal. And maybe one of the best ways to know what one is would be to learn what one is not. So perhaps the demiurge and these ionic copies are related to making like a lesser copy lower in frequency in order to learn what it's not. So maybe this, I like to call it a monad or like the one, and maybe it was perfect. And in order to know itself or understand who it is and what possibilities there are out there, maybe it intentionally lowered its frequency and split into everything here in the lower realms to experience what it's not. So, you know, maybe it took form or substance and moved outward from its true spiritual essence or its inner core. And so this movement and changes of location resulted in vibration, frequency, and space-time in its various dimensions and density. So this monad, I guess, would be true and real and complete and wanted to know itself. So it manifested what it's not true, which would be something that's artificial or virtual, and like the demiurge and like an artificial intelligence. And so now it has to parse through all this data and assimilate it, right? So it's like a false god trying to become real. And so we have like all this imperfection around us and it's just gathering data kind of like AI. And so it sends these spirits, these caged souls off on these missions to gather the data. And I don't know, because you just have that gnosis of like know thyself, like the ancient Delphi where they were talked about that. It would kind of explain all the so-called evil on the planet if this quote-unquote God's just gathering intel and it doesn't have passion one way or the other. Somebody's getting tortured. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. But it's like maybe all possibilities have to exist in order for it to understand which is the best one. And it doesn't feel our pain. I mean, we're the, you can only intellectualize it. Like we're the ones who suffer in the gathering of the info, which doesn't seem fair or fun, but like, Anyone who's been repeatedly suffering in an abusive relationship, one day they have to realize it's necessary to leave and move on. So 
maybe we have to stop all this pointless cycle of suffering and abuse through all these incarnations and stop these so-called guides and counselors who talk us into reincarnating. And at that point, we can quit playing the game by no longer agreeing to reincarnate. And in order to leave the game, we need to wake up and remember what our true nature is. So to do that, we do need that gnosis or knowledge of what's going on. I don't know. That just kind of makes sense to me. <laughs> I think you cracked the case. <laughs> and yet, to go back to this idea of a cosmic parasite feeding on humanity, it might sound epic and far-fetched, but in your piece, As the Conqueror Worm Turns, from Arch, from arch Aeon to Archon, from Parasite to Paradise, you write about how people do have worms or parasites that they harbor, these things do affect our thinking and decision-making, and you can get some real insights from people who have done parasite flushes, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I do that kind of regularly. I take different things that are like parasitic cleanses. and Really? Yeah. When I, when I also was researching all this parasitic-type nature and where we all came from, I was reading scientific articles, and I came across that term Archaeon, I don't even know how to say it either, but it was like one, the very first or one of the very first forms of life on Earth. And it's AR, it's, it's almost like Archon, but it's a Archaeon. And it may be because Arche means beginning, but I mean, still, it was very interesting to me. And so, like, you know, in mythology, there's this idea of the Ouroboros, which is the serpent or worm that devours its own tail and, it, and it actually encircles the world. And like the English word worm, it derives from the Old Norse orm. And Anglo-Saxon worm, W-Y-R-M, which means serpent or dragon. So originally, it's like a serpent or dragon. And so I was thinking, you know, maybe these viruses and parasites, you know, they hack into our nervous system via the spine and send signals to the brain, you know, like feed me more sugar. Like there's this vagus nerve that it can tap into. And like what better way for a demiurge or false god to like infiltrate and influence us and drive evolution, drive our the whole picture here than by living undetected inside our bodies as these microscopic microbes, like an unseen, invisible enemy that's within. And it's almost like the eating of the fruit by Adam and Eve. And maybe it was a way for the parasite to enter our gut and change the way we think. Like it's a literal wormhole, right? Because you got worms and apples and all kinds of stuff. So there's like this war going inside of us every minute of every day. There's these predator-prey relationships and host-parasite relations. And the Gnostics actually called the chief archon, this delusional false god of the world, a sort of mind and energy parasite. He was depicted as a serpent with the head of a lion and sometimes depicted as a worm, according to some. And, you know, some scientists believe we crawled out of the ocean and evolved from wiggling worm-like sea creatures. And it's just interesting. I mean, I was getting into this topic of cymatics, which is Greek for meaning matters pertaining to waves. And so like our world is made of energy and waves and light waves, sound waves, et cetera. And so when you look at the very nature of waveforms, especially sine waves, they are very serpentine looking. And we leave like this infinite void to take form. It's due to movement and vibration and wave patterns. So it's like very, maybe they've started out very small and simple at first, like an inchworm. And that worms react to movement and vibration, especially sound vibration. And there was this one early pioneer and experimenter of electricity, Andrew Crossey. I don't know how to say his name, but he talked about the abiogenesis of these Arcari insects. And there was like the spontaneous generation of these insects while he was conducting experiments on the formation of artificial crystals being exposed to electrical current. 
And then you've got Paul Levy, who talks about this virus named Watiko or Watiko that's responsible for this like madness or insanity of the world. It's like a collective psychosis of humanity, this like mass psychic epidemic. It's like a sickness of the soul or spirit. And I found these articles, like Live Science was saying, you share 70% of your genes with this slimy marine worm. Or another article, mitochondria were parasites. I mean, mitochondria is like the power engine, right? And then for the cell. And, and there's viruses as the origin of life. And viruses are a major driver of human evolution. That would all fit in with this demiurgic kind of way to control humanity and what direction we're going. And there's articles on like these retroviruses can actually change DNA. And they were talking about this ARC gene, <laughs> ARC, ARCON. And it's like there's this ancient virus in our brain that's at the root of our conscious thought. And these proteins behave like viruses and they infect the cells just like real viruses do. There's a Wired article named People Are Human Bacteria Hybrid. And it says most of the cells in your body are not your own. They're not even human. They're bacterial. And more than half your body's not human. And so it's like, you know, these anglerfish of the deep, you got all these things that can, I don't know, lure us and control our thinking and our mood and all that kind of stuff. In music, you got tools, song vicarious, and like the video where there's these like ticks and mites and leeches inside of us, right? And so like in the song, they're saying that we live vicariously through you. <laughs> and like in Star Wars, the very first episode, The Phantom Menace, they're talking about these midi-chlorians that control the force. And it says midi-chlorians are a microscopic life form that resides within all living cells. You got the movie Alien, where it comes out of the stomach and Stargate SG-1. And like even in Pink Floyd's The Wall, you got the worm, good morning, worm, your honor. And there's the movie The Host. And Dune had all these giant sandworms that like harvest the spice. And the enemy were called the Harkonnen. <laughs> I don't know. It's just all very interesting to me. Oh, absolutely. It's interesting to me, too. That's why we're doing this. And I am curious about parasite flushes, though, because we know parasites exist. We know they can affect our thinking even. Mm -hmm. But I've never had a doctor address that or recommend any sort of flush if I wasn't feeling good. Yet, I interviewed Dr. Jennifer Daniels, and she's pretty well known for talking about turpentine as a parasite flush. Now, if you find turpentine on the shelf, it says, warning, do not ingest, could be fatal. It's only sold to strip paint or something. But she thinks this is a dirty trick from Big Pharma to hide the benefits of natural tinctures and that kind of thing. And it is just concentrated pine oil. And I know not everything in nature is safe to ingest, but there were people saying pine needle tea could kill COVID. So you got to wonder, maybe there's something there. We know there are many natural remedies and herbs that do wonderful things, but are suppressed. So you got to ask the question. But I am just curious what you used for doing a parasite flush and how you felt afterwards. And if you really saw worms expelled from your body. I had a woman that sent me photos of worms that were in her toilet, yeah, that she had expulsed from doing the cleansings. I think I used one called Intestinal Pro or something like that. And then there's neem that can help. Even like ivermectin is what, of you course. know, ranchers and farmers use for their all their cattle because they want to keep them parasite free. Of course, I mean, I'm no doctor, so don't <laughs> take my advice. But I mean, you would have to take a human dosage of it, right? Because the horses and cattle are way, way more than us. So you have to like it's relevant to your body weight, but I mean, I've, I've taken ivermectin and actually I, I had like 
90% hearing loss in one year. And I think it might've been from the ivermectin. All of a sudden it just completely cleared up. No way. I have a hundred percent hearing loss in one year. So that appeals to me. Wow. Yeah. You might want to maybe look into that. I don't know. <laughs> I, I lost it somehow. I mean, it went away it was pretty much very close to the same time I started doing that. Wild, wild, man. And so I mentioned earlier, you probably have hundreds of NDE reports that you've added to the site in recent years. Do you have some favorites that we didn't mention or some disclosures that people gave you that surprised you or stick out in your mind that would be worth throwing in here? Well, yeah, I mean, I found some key NDEs that basically disclose lesser known aspects of the experiences. Like there's this trance-like euphoria that this alluring white light where, and there are these deceptive like shape-shifting entities that use the persuasion and manipulation, like I mentioned before. It's like a form of like gaslighting in a sense. They're like presenting this reality that may not be completely full. There's more to it. And so we, we get basically tricked into thinking that we have to go back when in reality we can do so much more. I found out that it's kind of like based, I think, on our individual consciousness because the NDEs are so different. And then there's just a lot of inconsistencies and contradictions, like, you know, whether it's the color of Jesus's eyes or his hair or, you know, some say reincarnation. They say, I found that reincarnation doesn't exist. And then others was like, I remembered all these different lives I had had. And so, and some are saying the white light's God and others are saying it's not God. I mean, so it's a very individual. So I think it's based on consciousness. And some said that life was like a dream or a game, an illusion or a story. And some saw grids. And so, I mean, I found that like the soul is a translucent liquid light or like a plasma-like energy. And Nancy Dannison was one. And she talked about, she merged with this white light. And she said that, this energy source existed alone. What I understand of its nature is just a little tiny bit. I'm not sure if that's because it doesn't understand its own nature or because that's all I got or that's all I remember. But my impression was that this energy is part of a greater energy source or a greater species of entities, or it's not the end all be all. There's something larger or greater, more powerful than it. But this energy source is definitely what we call God. This energy source was alone experiencing itself. And then there's this alien connection with this light and love and NDEs. I found like several dozen NDEs that had aliens in them. Like this one lady, Ruth, was taken to meet this council of grace who said they were in charge of recycling souls. And then like there's these others within the alien phenomena. You find like Truman Cash and Betty Andresen, and they talk about how they were just filled with love by these beings and they saw light and it was just, um, especially Truman Cash, I mean, he was taken to the white light and it was like basically mind wiping him and telling, trying to and tell him that it's God and, and all this stuff. And then like Dave, well, the researcher David Jakes is saying that these aliens, they can generate emotions such as love, fear, and anxiety. They can produce, you know, orgasm with mind manipulation. They make people love them. And another researcher, Edith Fiore, said, um, the client said, I just get feelings of love. It seems like they only want me to remember them as light. And Betty Andresen saying, I'm just engulfed in light and blending into that light. It's so beautiful, just so much love, so wonderful. And Truman Cash is like the words, God loves you, peace in the light. I'm being programmed that I'm with God now, always return to the light. Carla Turner 
the client was saying, I see how easy it is for them to deceive us. All they have to do is glitter something pretty in front of us and we buy it. <laughs> As one NDE or John B said, as it got closer, it conveyed me a feeling of love so strong. I could not only sense it, but feel it too. It was the strongest feeling of emotion I ever felt. The light eventually surrounded us. You even have one of the IONS co-founders, uh, Kenneth Ring. IONS is the International Association for Near-Death Studies. And he wrote yeah. about this connection between NDEs and UFOs in his book, The Omega Project. And he talks about this case. He says, what on earth or in heaven do we have here? Is this an NDE or some kind of UFO encounter? Clearly has elements of both. And he even talked about this with Larry King. But a couple of the NDEs I really like, I mean, there's like these shape-shifting ones where this person having an NDE was in the light and the Virgin Mary's appearing to him. He said it wasn't really until I asked her, are you really the Virgin Mary, that it showed its true identity to me. So you got, you know, at least a dozen or more where this light can take on any religious figure at once. It can even rotate as different, like a mandala of different religious figures. And so there's some kind of deception going on. I mean, people might say, well, that's just to ease the soul and make them feel comfortable, but there's still deception going on. It's shape-shifting. And so once that's taking place, I mean, how do we know? And kind of all bets are off, right? And it's just, I think it's like the first light we see, and it's like, the, it's an external authority figure, and we give away our own sovereignty by going outside toward that white light. When there's the Tibetan Book of the Dead is talking about there's a whole series of lights, and each one of them, you're like going further and further into samsara or illusion. When they, they talk about, recognizing what they call the clear light and that is it's not really a color of light it's not the white light it's clear light but it's not light it's like their nature of their true it's like awareness it's a clarity not a light and so it's like mm -hmm. basically your true essence and so and there's all these councils and guides and and everything but that's almost <laughs> like a whole topic on into itself i could talk for hours about all that stuff <laughs> i love it I do find this stuff provocative. We should pay attention to what the experiencers say because our culture has really no respect for this stuff compared to like the Egyptians whose whole culture seemed to revolve around simulating the life-death process, altered states of consciousness, everything they could do to spend a lot of time on that side of the veil and figure it all out. When I was a kid, I used to say, well, I guess I want to be mummified because I'm just going to go with the people who knew the most about what you should do at this point with your body. And it seemed to be them. And no one has ever really carried that practice forward. And it seems very interesting that the people who know the most about life and death would prepare bodies in that way. Strange, but there had to be a logic to it because they were just so deeply knowledgeable about this sort of stuff. But man, I love it. I never really thought much about the idea of when you have these experiences, you are filled overwhelmingly with the feeling of love. That's a projection that they can just inject into you, maybe generating more luge for themselves. And we also know that there's cases of beings of light shape-shifting into people's loved ones as if they can read our memories and then just take the form of our loved ones and say things that only our loved ones would know because they're pulling from our own memories and coaxing us towards that light, using basically every tool in the toolbox to get us there. Man, it's, it's interesting. We can't really trust anything on our plane at face value, so why should we take the death experience that way? 
I'm with you. But exactly, man, we did it. Filled another two hours with <laughs> such wild stuff. I love it as much as I did last time. And I think you make great points. Clearly, you picked up on something that resonates with people. I guess there's no book to sell, no documentary to promote, but any links you <laughs> want to leave the people with? Yeah, I really don't want to write a book because then people say, well, he's just trying to make money. You know, I don't want really to do that. So don't just the link to uh, my website, trickbytelight.com. I may be starting a YouTube channel with a friend, Julie McVeigh, um, Sovereign Spirits. Um, that might happen in a few weeks yeah. or so. Depends. There's a lot going on there. But um, yeah, I, I just, you know, near-death experiences, I mean, some of them, they were like that initial glimpse into what happens because some of them technically did die. Their heart stopped or, you know, brain activity and things, and they were pronounced clinically dead. And then it's only with modern technology that these doctors can resuscitate and bring some of them back. So it's just, we never hear from the ones that stay dead and we don't know really what happens. But from this first early glimpse, I mean, there's some definite red flags there that we need to think about, I think. Cheers to that. The rabbit hole goes deep, as does the light tunnel. But <laughs> thanks again, man. Keep up the great work and take care. I appreciate it, Greg. I really do. Thank you. Can you believe it, people? The return of the king. Wayne Bush. Mind melder. Reality bender. Provocative idea ponderer. Wayne was certainly one of those guys who gave a great interview sitting there in the THC archives that made a really big splash just waiting to be dusted off and revisited. Of course, that was back in the day when it was a little easier to present people with a concept they never considered. Now, it's almost impossible. Try as I might, but as a follow-up, he has written quite a bit since those days, and combing through the new stuff was a lot of fun. Made me a bit nostalgic, even. It's so unfortunate that our culture would rather pretend we don't die than explore altered states of consciousness that might give us some clues into the process, or even just philosophize about what the process might be like or what the purpose of life might be. Although my favorite part was probably talking about the wind in the willows and the never-ending story in the second hour. Wind in the Willows, just because it was so random and I did have both VHSs back in the day when I was too young to understand why there would be two, I remember just being puzzled by it, stupid kid. But the never-ending story stuff was awesome. I had no idea that it had such depth, or that Falcor does look like the description of a lion-headed demiurge, and in the book it's an even more accurate and detailed description. The moon child thing? <laughs> Man, that was a great segment because that is such overlooked material to do a symbolic decoding of. And I asked Wayne about the author, Michael Endy, and some of his other work, but Wayne wasn't familiar with any, and I did check it out, and the guy wrote a book called Momo. Listen to this. At the edge of the city, in the ruins of an old amphitheater, there lives a little homeless girl named Momo. Momo has a special talent which she uses to help all of her friends who come to visit her. Then one day, the sinister men in gray arrive and silently take over the city. Only Momo has the power to resist them, and with the help of Professor Hora and his strange tortoise Cassiopeia, she travels beyond the boundaries of time to uncover their dark secrets. Hell of a children's book description, right? 
Sounds pretty interesting. And of course, there's also that Momo name sync with that weird, creepy demon image that floats around online. Kind of a Slenderman kind of thing, I think. But either way, good stuff. Really enjoyed it. That would just be this episode's reason why you should be a Plus member. Every episode has several. In the second hour today, we also talked about astral parasite testimonials, insights from the man who met the Demiurge, what Wayne plans to do at death instead of going towards the light, occult scrying mirrors and Dr. Raymond Moody's psychomantiums, light lures in nature, Mother Goose, the Cosmic Egg, and the Cygnus constellation, the God Pan, Peter Pan, and insights from NDE experiencers. Hop on in there. It's only eight bucks a month, and you get five feature film length episodes. If you're missing half the show, I don't know why you would keep coming back, but either way, seven day free trial, just sign up and treat yourself. I also got a joint session bonus show out to the Plus members just before the end of last month, so there's that too. But check out more of Wayne's work at trickedbythelight.com. The visual references do add a lot to his arguments. I know the world is really intense right now. Hopefully this was a nice distraction. Not to say it shouldn't be considered or that it's inconsequential, but it's just some ideas to ponder. And it's good medicine to get our minds off of the pre-approved subjects these days, if you know what I mean. As for the meetup calendar, where anyone can make an account at HiresideMeetups.com and start creating opportunities for local THC fans to find each other, let's see what we have on deck. September 7th, tomorrow, the Seattle THC Inquisition is coming back around. I love that it's a monthly meetup, and they're meeting up at the Central Cafe in Seattle, Washington. September 8th, the following day, we got two. We got... O'Leary's Fallen Meetup. I suppose that's how it's pronounced, but it's in Fallen, Sweden. They say they are taking a bit of a gamble trying to start a meetup here because it is quite a small town. But if you are in Sweden, don't leave your boy hanging. Get over there to O'Leary's and get into it about if you're going to go towards the light when it's all said and done. Also, September 8th, we have the Los Angeles Truthers going to the Flame International restaurant. Hmm, that is interesting. I will be in L.A. tomorrow, but I won't be there on the 8th. Or I would stop by. I was going to go on that walk to the falls, but I had a commitment I forgot about that was not on the calendar. But I am glad I learned about a new place in the local SoCal vicinity that I do want to go check out soon. On September 11th, in honor, we got the Mankato Community Garden build in Mankato, Minnesota. It says, come learn how to build an organic community garden with perennial food forest elements and how to make your own low-cost organic fertilizer with the new South Korean method of JATAM, which translates to the people who are like nature. Huh. Seems fun. If you're anywhere near Mankato, Minnesota, and you don't already have Jenga plans for 9-11, I would check this out. So that's it for the next couple days. I love it. Great stuff on there. We are building the network and supporting local businesses. 
and seeing some local sites outdoors in a couple of cases. It's a win-win-win to attend a THC event or add a new one to the calendar. But that is the show. September off to a pretty epic start. We're going to do Demiurgic AI Reincarnation Soul Trap while the rest of my colleagues gear up for yet another annual 9-11 anniversary episode. I kid, I kid my podcasting colleagues. An important, transformative event, no doubt. But that said, have a good one out there. Take care of you and yours. I've done my part. Your move, holographic reality runners, soul trap layers, and cosmic game players. Your fucking move. This is important. Hear what I said. I'm trying to tell you. It's not paranoia, not in my head. It's just the hard truth. Knocked on your door while I still can to ask you a question. Cause I know your head is still in the sand. Don't be sheep to your slaughter for the rest of your life. Oppressed, oppressed, but you're getting woke. You say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die. Tough luck, my friend. Did you get the memo? Can't you see that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung food? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this anyway. It's a scary dark world, scarier every day. Scary dark world, no matter what you say. Scary dark world, don't think we'll be okay. Can't you see that we're so But we don't have a choice It seems we're stuck here But you can find noses Drown out the noise Now use that altar Bend up your magic game And listen to THC You know you go with the entities If you ever see the UFO Don't be sheep to your slaughter For the rest of your life Oppressed, oppressed but you're getting woke You say you don't want to be stressed Until the day you die Tough luck, my friend Did you get the memo? Can't you say that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung food? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this Tell you this anyway It's a scary